0: the finling toyota studio it's coalfield and company uh he says they're selling
1: their t shirt for 9.99 well you know i'm in
2: everyone just be freaking cool settle down
0: i guess we could be more lighthearted maybe it's time for coalfield and company with steve coalfield on espn las vegas
1: Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield. Ari's back in our Finley, Toyota Studios. Busy. 3 o'clock hour. Lots of NBA to get to. More on the Vegas Golden Knights, and we'll get to the Robin Leonard decision here inside of 5 minutes.
0: It's time for The 3. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA.
1: But we do have to spend time now and a little later in the hour on what's going on around the NBA, Adam, with the fans. And they're all kind of different situations, and I think because a lot of them are just random, right? A lot of them are just, they're just, well, nothing's random, but they're weird attacks on the players. There's others where it's been an ongoing saga here, like especially Kyrie and the Celtics and the fans. So you got Kyrie Irving leaving the Celtics. Fans are pissed off. Now they get to face him in the playoffs, so they've already been angered by that story to set this thing up. Then before the series, Kyrie's like, please boston defenders or um behave yourself and none of that subtle racism like where's the lighter right just freaking fanning the flames then they split in boston you got a 3-1 lead kyrie not good in game 3 game 4 freaking goes off and then he makes sure to walk over to the Celtics logo and stomp his foot on uh, old fat face Celtics guy logo. So here is W-E-E-I reacting to that today. This is former NFL player, fellow athlete Christian Fourier. When everything worked out perfectly for him, then he's like, all right, now let me take advantage of the situation. This is why he's – he's. I, I hate him. Like, I hate Kyrie Irving for, for nothing to do about his politics or, you know, just it's who he is as a person. He's a terrible human being. He is – like it, there's more evidence to, to that proves that what a fraud he is than to prove that he is an upstanding do everything for the right reasons guy. He's a terrible human being. Adam, your thoughts on this one? If you want to speak here, that's always a, a big
2: deal. Sure. I still yeah. don't really know enough about Kyrie as a person. I mean, he's so he is I think mysterious is fair. When you talk about Kyrie, like there's always you know he's he's you know not around he's he has he's talked about mental health issues and he's not been around uh, at certain times for, for various personal reasons and things like that. But I I don't you know I don't know enough about him as a person. We know the flat Earth thing, and then that was kind of you know that came out of like he was messing around with people. I I don't really fully grasp that. Like he's a weird person. He's a strange person. I think he's a complex person. I don't know that he, what he's that he's done anything that could be considered you know, awful human being level.
1: Let's go out to the phones on WEI, and here is uh, Cal in the car.
3: I just want someone in the Celtics organization to say, listen, this guy, Kyrie, talks about belligerence and he, uh, you know, worried about belligerence on, on the court and everything, and then what does he do? He does something belligerent. That's <laughs> all they have to say, especially
1: Danny Ainge. Shame on you, Danny Ainge. You're an old-school Celtic. You don't let someone step on the on, uh, on the on the leprechaun and get away with it? Just call him out for being belligerent. That would have been it. I mean, Kyrie is stirring yeah. the pot. If you're going to ask for the fans to behave, they don't. But the guy gets arrested for throwing a water bottle at you. But then you come back with a big game, you win, and as the guy said, you disrespect the Celtics by stepping on the leprechaun's face. Where are we now?
2: do I mean do you realize how ridiculous that sounds come on you're gonna step on the leprechaun like yeah okay I mean (laughs) it's fine I get that that's their logo and it's iconic and everything else but it just sounds so ridiculous to be mad that a guy stepped on a leprechaun like those, those are not real things is Danny age an
1: embarrassment to all former Celtics
2: well before this I mean he already was right I mean no I'm just I'm kidding obviously um should he be no. standing up
1: for the Celtics? Should Brad Stevens be standing up for the Celtics and the fans and the city? That's what but, WEEI wants, at least. That's what Fourier and Cal and the car would like.
2: I get. I guess I don't know what you want. What, what you want him to do to flip out about stepping on a logo? Like is that? That's what you want from them? Like, it, is that really the most important thing to worry about? It doesn't seem like it to me. They think it's important. I mean, I
1: guess. Unfortunately, the players can't do anything about it because they're overmatched. Without Jalen Brown in the series, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to stay in the series. So that game's coming up here in about 90 minutes. All right, so what happened on Sunday? What went into the decision to play Robin Leonard? You know, last week I said, hey, I support him playing in game six. Hell, I guess if game six had rolled out the way the first game of the Avs series did, then I would have egg all over my face. But... I uh, I feel like I support DeBoer in that you know speculation that he could play in Game Six of the last Series. I'm not going to kill him. Can't do it, right? I can't kill him in Game One of this
2: series. But man, that blew up in their face. That was not good. I mean, I I I can make a case it was a genius move. Uh, if you want to go down that if you want to go down that path, um, I, I I listen. I don't. I don't know if this was if this went into his line of thinking. We can get into all the aspects of it. We could probably do the entire show on on the decision. Uh, but if you really want to get into, could it have been a really smart move? The fact that the Knights played the way they did, they were getting crushed. If there was a brick wall in net, like it just it, nothing was going to change, no matter who was playing goalie in that game. That go, that result had nothing to do with, with who was in net. And if Pete DeBoer saw that coming from his team, if Pete DeBoer knew that the onslaught was coming and his team wasn't ready and his team was exhausted coming off a of game 7 oh, wow. two nights earlier. Oh wow. Like, do you want do you want that to do you want that to be on Flurry? Do you want his confidence destroyed by having to endure what Robin Leonard had to endure on Sunday? Like, I'm not I'm not saying this is this was his thought process. But you just saying, did. No, no, I said that's a possibility. That's a possibility. All right. If so,
1: he, so hey, I look, I'm looking at a team that's flat. They're going to get their ass kicked. So let's put lamb to slaughter. Sorry, Robin, but go ahead, do your best.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that's a possibility. Now, wow. what, I, what I think more is that they saw what everybody else saw, what everybody was that was watching closely saw is that Flurry did look worn out at the end of the first series. He was awful in game five, not great in game six. Um, Maybe he needed a rest, and at some point you might need Robin Leonard to play, so you can't have him sitting out three weeks at a time without facing competitive shots. You had to get him a game, and what better game than you know less than forty-eight hours after uh, you know Game Seven, where everybody was so emotional and they got the win at home, and then have to travel again, and all the extra travel they had to go through from from losing those couple of games. Like you know, there's a there's a chance to get Leonard in, and, and you might need him, so you got to get him some work. Now that's not the work you want to get him, uh, but I think that's what they were looking at. Like, hey, Flurry is not—he—he was not the goalie he was in the first four games of that of that last series. Maybe we do need to get Leonard work, and maybe he will need to play at some point, so You got to get him—you got to get him sharp again. But that's also what happens when you sit a guy three weeks and then throw him out there. Like, th- there's a lot of different angles and a lot of different elements of what could have played into. To Pete DeBoer's decision. Uh, but you could look at it as, hey, he saw what was coming, and it was a it was a very genius move by him to keep Flurry out of the way of that train. Uh, or just making sure that Leonard gets work and is sharp when they need him. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of different possibilities for what happened there. But in the end, I don't think you could say it was the, you know, it, that, that decision, while a lot of people wanted to talk about it really had zero to do with the outcome of the game and is being made a huge deal of. uh, And in retrospect, might end up looking like, hey, that's what cost the Golden Knights a series in people's minds, but that's not going to be the case.
1: You think they may have just gotten blitzed no matter what? And now they've got to come back mentally from getting destroyed. They've got to come back from, apparently DeBoer was very much into seeing that the Avs were massive favorites. It was, you know, the, the little engine that could, the Golden Knights, and now they'll be doing all of it without ryan reeves for a couple of games
0: nova home loans brings you the three it's a refi raid at nova home loans with interest rates at all time lows now's the time to talk to your local nova loan officer 877-700-NOVA
4: you know you're not feeling good about yourself but i think we have to put it in perspective and you know playoffs are about having short memories um and getting ready for the next one. Bottom line was we weren't good enough tonight. They were very good. We've got to be better. Uh, game two.
0: Now back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio.
1: No nonsense, Pete bore They got to be better. They were not good in game one, and all of it should not be laid at the feet of Robin Leonard, Steve Cofield, Adam Hill. Let's go up to uh, Denver and get the story for game two, get the story out of game one as Peter Baugh covers the abs for The Athletic. He joins Cofield and company here in Vegas. How are you, sir?
4: Hey, how are you? I'm doing well.
1: We're good. We're good. Alright, well let's uh, let's start by going back and, and uh, give us your take on what you saw. Uh, was most of that Robin Leonard or was that the team in front of him that led to an absolute destruction at the hands of the Avalanche?
4: Uh, it was mostly the team in front of him. I mean Leonard definitely should have had a few of of those goals, but that was not Marc-Andre Fleury does not change that game to the point to where Vegas wins or is probably even close in that game. It was, it was a pretty thorough thrashing.
2: Well, how, how close to the best of the Colorado Avalanche did the Knights see in game one?
4: Uh, I mean that, that was a pretty dominant showing. I think that was, um, almost all their players were, were firing and it was a pretty thorough game. And I think that's probably about as well as the avalanche have played all year. I mean, the top line is playing at such an unbelievably high level um, and, and that continued. So I, I, I think that that's around um, the best they've played so far. I don't know if they've got another gear, but that was certainly up there with the best games I've seen them play.
2: The, the top line is so dangerous. We saw once again, uh, them coming through not only playing well, but also producing, uh, in that game, uh, how, I mean, how consistent – you've watched them all year and, and for a while, like, how consistent has this line been in generating chances like that and finishing chances like that? And uh, how how likely is it that they keep that up all the way through the playoffs?
4: Yeah, I mean, you, you look at these guys, and it's not really a fluke. Obviously, they didn't average two points a game during the, during the regular season, but Nathan McKinnon averaged over a point a game, Mika Rantanen – averaged more than a point a game and had more points than Nathan McKinnon. Um, Gabriel Landeskog averaged just under a point a game. So these are all really incredible players uh, who kind of have different skill sets that really complement one another. And then they all raised their game in the postseason. I mean, I think you saw you saw last year Nathan McKinnon was unbelievable in the postseason. And Miko Rantanen has an 18-game playoff point streak. Um, so I, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to be averaging two points a game for their whole playoff careers or anything like that but I mean it it does seem like this line is is playing at a really elite level and is is going to keep up what they've done so far this postseason
2: well you know if they, if they're doing it on their own it's a little bit easier to contain for another team what what other lines did we see really kind of pop like who played well in that game um and and can that be expected can that depth be continued uh be expected to continue to play that well
4: yeah, the Avalanche did a really nice job this offseason of adding players that kind of complement their top-line guys and really make it a deep um, roster, kind of top-line to bottom. Um, you look at a guy like Brandon Saad, who's won a couple cups with the Chicago Blackhawks. He scored in four consecutive games. He plays on a line with Tyson Jost and Valerie Nechushkin. Uh, Nichushkin is just one of the best four-checkers in the league is – Really hard to get pucks away from him, and he, he assisted Saad's goal the other night. Um, Saab scored in four straight. And then you've got you've got guys like Andre Barkovsky who's won a cup and has, is a 20-goal scorer. You've got Jonas um, Donskoy, who had a career high in goals this year. And you've got um, JT Comfort, who kind of picked it up late in the season with a big goal against Vegas in the last regular season game, as well as um, a hat trick a couple days later. And then on top of all of that, you've got defensemen who are really good at moving the puck, like Kale McCarr, Devontae, and are really good at slicing through the neutral zone. And that makes it really tough on a team like any team, really, um, and especially one like the Golden Knights that's kind of beaten down after playing seven games in 14 days. Um, and you saw kind of the result of that. It's a deep team with a lot of people playing at the top of their game right now.
2: Peter Ball covers the Avs for The Athletic. Nice enough to join us here as we break down uh, the series here on, on Cofield & Company. Uh, you mentioned Kim McCarr there. Being in that arena on Sunday night, he was the guy that really stood out. I mean, as good as the, that top line was for Colorado, it was just incredible to watch him play uh, in that game. What have you seen in terms of his development? He's still so young, but he's playing at such an elite level. Uh, how? How has it been watching that guy develop, and, and where is he at in his development right now?
4: Yeah, I mean he's unbelievable. He's twenty-two years old and already on the short
2: list in terms of best
4: defenseman in, in the league, and is it, it just looks like he can get anywhere on the ice that he wants to. He can, he can. If there's a place he wants to be, he will get there. And he's also so good at distributing the puck, like you saw. Um, with his pass to Gabriel Landeskog for the second goal, and that's an example of one where that's just a Golden Knights defensive breakdown. And I don't think if Flurries in that that doesn't change anything. Uh, but McCarr is he's so dangerous on the power play. Um, he's he's got a really nice shot, um, and his skating is just unbelievable. And I think an underrated part of the game is, his game is he's really good defensively too. I mean he's he's a pretty complete player, and I think people see the offensive numbers he puts up and just kind of assume that he's this, like, just stud offensive player. But he really is a complete player. His defense has improved a lot, and I think that's one area when you look at development is that's gotten better. And it seems like, I mean, he's 22 years old. He's theoretically still improving, and that's really scary for the rest of the league considering how good he already is. Um, I mean, this guy looks like he's going to be in the conversation for Norris Trophies year after year after year.
2: We saw how dominant Colorado was in that first game, and a lot of it is Colorado. A lot of it is Vegas, just wasn't good at all uh, in that game. But where could the Avalanche be vulnerable at any point in the series?
5: Um,
4: I mean, you look up and down their roster, and it is not a roster with apparent holes. I think in the past, health has been an issue, um, and that is, it's hard to stay healthy for an entire postseason. So that's, I think, one of the big questions for the Avs is, is can they they maintain this health. And um, if they can, it's not a team that has any apparent holes. I mean, you look at at their top, they have top-level skill on their top line. They've got depth throughout the rest of their lineup. They've got three top-pairing-level defensemen along with Ryan Graves, who led the league in plus-minus last year. And they've got a goaltender who's playing well. So this is not a team that has obvious holes. Um, it's, it's kind of just, if they can stay healthy,
2: the a lot of the talk coming out of the game certainly was about the blowout, but a lot of it was also about uh, Ryan Reeves and, and the Graves situation. Uh, what what was what your read on that, and what is kind of the uh, the locker room thoughts a couple of days later as we hear from some of the players and the coaches on the suspension and and just kind of the fallout from that uh, that incident late in the game.
4: Yeah, so. I guess you could say it started in the second period with Graves had a hit on Yanmark uh, on Vegas. That hit, I, I realized, like a lot of fans were, were pretty upset about it. But it it was certainly a late hit. Um, but Graves got it. He, most of where Graves hit him was in the chest, and then his his kind of he flew backwards, um, and that made a lot of Vegas people mad. But I think it probably was. Handled fairly, where it was an interference penalty. That wasn't worth a major penalty. It was just a, it was an interference play, and he got put in the penalty box. So I was maybe a little surprised he didn't get a fine for it, but it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as egregious as I think um, some people in Vegas made it sound like. I think the the pro the game moves really fast sometimes, and Ian was looking at the puck and didn't necessarily see Graves coming, but it, he had just passed the puck, like he had just had the puck. So a lot of Vegas players clearly were mad about that, and then you saw as the game as it became clear that the Golden Knights weren't going to be able to come back, um, you saw guys kind of start to go after Graves a little more, um, particularly Ryan Reeves. Um, The incident that happened at the end of the game was, it was I mean it was not a good play. It was it was he he threw him to the ice and kind of put his his uh, knee on his head, and it was it was not nice to watch. It's tough to see those things. Same with, like, with the Avalanche when Naz and Kadri last series, like, hit Justin Falk. Those are plays that you don't want to see in a hockey game. It's it's unfortunate whenever you see something like that. So, um, I think Colorado's players have done a pretty good job of keeping their composure when talking about it, but they also, I would imagine, are not happy about it. I mean, Gabe Landeskog said, that it was pretty clear that Reeves was going out there with an intent to injure. Um, you, Philip Grubauer said Reeves usually plays within the lines, but that time he certainly crossed the line. Um, but they've they've mostly kept mild mannered, but it definitely was a play that a lot of them weren't thrilled about.
2: The uh, game two is not tonight because the Nuggets are playing in Denver. Is is this a little bit of? just a really bad break for Colorado who I assume would really want to be back out on the ice as soon as possible after that game.
4: Yeah, maybe. But I think that as they showed going into game one, rest, rest never hurts. I mean, they, they came out flying in game one and hadn't played for a week. And it's, I think that if any, I think it's less of a bad break for Colorado and their level of play and more of just a good, I think it'll be good for Vegas to rest up, um, to get there, um, I don't know. They had to play seven games in 14, I guess, eight games in 16 ga- days if you count the count game one. And that's a lot of playoff hockey. Now you can put Marc-Andre Fleury back into net, into and he's had a good chunk of rest at this point. And I think I think it certainly could lead to a fresher Vegas Golden Knights team. I don't know if that's enough uh, to make it competitive, but it certainly is better than <laughs> it should hopefully lead to a better performance from them than we saw the other night.
1: Getting ready for game two, and like Adam and uh, Peter were just saying, a little delay as it'll go down tomorrow. Peter Baugh covers the abs for the Athletic. Uh, back to Reeves for one second. I just wanted to get your reaction to this. Um, Pete DeBoer said it's not hard to defend Ryan Reeves. He's one of the cleanest guys I've seen. Uh, I'm sorry. He's one of the cleanest tough guys I've seen in, in the league in my 12 years. His gloves never came off, and nobody was hurt on the play. Is that acceptable?
4: Is, is Pete DeBoer's explanation acceptable or is what ryan reeves is (laughs) is
1: is his explanation acceptable to you as a hockey viewer
4: i mean i think that if that's a coach sticking up for his player he you aren't going to hear a coach come out and say like that was a really dirty play i know pete DeBoer thinks highly of ryan reeves um it certainly the gloves not coming off was not the problem the problem was that he threw him to the ice and then dug his knee into his head while he was i mean the league description of what happened was that he applied pressure to Ryan Graves' head while his head was on the ice and yanked out a chunk of his hair. Like, that's in the NHL video where they explain the decision. So, I mean, I think that – I'm not saying Ryan Reeves is like a bad human being or anything. I think that a lot of things happen in hockey games. But clearly that play crossed the line. And I – so I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with Pete DeBoer's explanation, but I, I – Understand that that's a coach trying to stand up for his player.
1: So last one, Peter. I'm going to go off the beaten path here, and we haven't gotten to this topic yet. And Adam is uh, has been in newspapers. What are you talking now, Adam? Twenty years, twenty one years, yep. right? Uh, yep. I've been around the block. We're a little older than you, Peter. So, uh, but I do want your take on this, okay? Because I, I know you're you're a little fresher in terms of you know studying the stuff and the philosophy of media. What do you think we're going after what we saw with Naomi Osaka, and now this push by a lot of people who are like. Why are the athletes talking post game? And especially when they lose, why should they talk to the media? How do we answer that? I, I want your take. Like, why do we need to do that? And where could we be heading if we don't have post game access to the players?
4: I mean, I, I think that that's, and it, that is an issue a little more uh, distinct to tennis and the way they do things with the, the big press conferences. Whereas in team sports, it's generally in non COVID times a more open locker room where players can have more personable conversations. And it's not as, I mean, I think that, I think, if you look at Naomi Osaka's statement that she put out, I guess it was yesterday. I thought it was a a really good statement and really fair. The idea of like, just how, how not even after a loss, but just it's really scary for her to talk to, to reporters. Like she gets a lot of anxiety about it. And I think that's something that we have to, keep in mind and me as, as media members, like, being empathetic when talking to these people. And I think press conferences are just a tough setting sometimes because it is kind of this, like, everyone's looking at you. Um, it's broadcast sometimes nationally, sometimes worldwide, and that's, that's scary, um, which is why I think that, I guess, having the, I guess, more intimate, in-person locker room access is really important because then it's not as overwhelming. It's not as, like the athlete can choose themselves to say, I'm not really feeling talking today, I'll talk to you tomorrow, or something like that. Um, Yeah, I don't think this is going to, I I wouldn't guess this will have like a major ripple effect on team sports. I think a lot of athletes have good relationships with reporters, and there's reporters that they they don't always get along with. But I don't don't necessarily see this trickling down past um, Grand Slam Tennis. Uh, maybe there'll be instances where certain athletes decide not to talk and that's completely their right. Um, but I think that I'm trying to, I guess, gather my thoughts on it, but I, I, think that this, uh, instance is a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I get it. I get it. There's a lot to think through here and we, uh, we do appreciate it. We'd love to have you on later in the series. Thank you so much.
4: All right. Take care.
1: There he is. Peter Baugh. Uh, went to Mizzou. So that's a big journalism school. I figured I'd lean on him. He was I'm sure he was just, you know, he's pretty fresh from learning the ways of journalism. And Adam, I want to get into this more in the the big five. What do you think of, of what Pete just said there? Um yeah, it's not going to really lead to anything. Or is there the possibility that you're going to have a lot of teams who are like, hey, you know what, let's protect the athletes and let's not have them do uh post game press conferences. Then you're like, okay, let's all go in the locker room. Nope, can't come in the locker room either. Is Pete right? Is this all going to work itself out? Or is there going to be a point where Hey, the news that we get post game is going to be coming from the team and the team only, or the players
2: and the players only on their own social media. Well, I think people are going to try. I think there's going to be a lot of attempts at it. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of teams that say, "Hey, you know, we're going to you know try to try to block access or not have access or you know keep people in the locker room," which I already thought was going to be the case anyway, right? Uh, with with after you know, in a post COVID world where they'd say, "Well, do we really need?" to make these players available. Like, think about it. Why would – we
1: know in most of our jobs, whatever you got scaled back to in terms of staffing and new ways of doing things, there's a really good chance that's the way it's going to stay because it worked for the last year. Right? Right. So why would that be any different in sports? I mean, I think a lot of teams are going to look at it and leagues are going to look at it like, hey, you don't need the access. You just showed it. You know, you guys survive. We survived. The message still got out there. We're going to go with these rules. We're going to go with these new rules that are set. No locker room access after the games. No locker room access. Let's build on this on the way back.
0: The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now. This is our job.
4: You know, this is not a... A game or you can just kind of just do whatever you want to do and run around and they um, look fun entertaining um, and it is our job and we take it very seriously so i think as fans my advice is just to be watch the game enjoy it and sit back whatever i uh, think that's it
0: now back to coalfield and company in the finley toyota studio weird times
1: man everyone's coming out of the pandemic kind of looking around at them like all right what do we do now Because we, ba- we made a bunch of adjustments for COVID times, and now we're back to normal, but I don't know if we're ready to go back to normal. So you got Westbrook you know, involved in an in issue with fans. You got NBA games all over the place having issues with fans. Now we're talking mental health coming out of the pandemic and certain athletes saying, you know what, I don't want to deal with the stress of the post-game, the post-match. So... Naomi Osaka raised a concern. Tennis said, got to follow the rules. And she said, all right, I'm not following the rules. I'm out. Which, you know, sets up a a really interesting future about what kind of conversation are we going to have here about mental health when it comes to media responsibilities, when it comes to the way the fans treat the athletes. Uh, 364-1100, 364-1100. You can chime in off of what you heard to uh, open the show and also what you saw over the weekend where a tennis player just said, you know what, it's not worth my time. I'm out I'm done uh, Andrew is in on cofield and company Andrew
6: hey guys how's it going
1: good man fire away
6: I'm uh, I'm in the boat of the individual sports tennis golf they got to do it we need to hear from them or what's going on we're in the team sport you can get it from anyone the coach players the GM and if I am on a team sport and I have to keep going and doing the press conference over and over I want to be compensated because the 12th man on the bench don't have to That's well. I mean in, gen- in
1: general you you are compensated you're you're paid a lot more than the 12th player
6: Is it in the contract though like the press conference stuff I
1: think I know, it's like, in, uh, I'm guessing are. I'm guessing in team sports that it's in a collective bargaining agreement that Fair. you have to speak to the media so I guess you know by default that would be your contract extended
6: I mean, with the team though, I feel like you, the whole team should be up there answering, like everyone who played, not just well, Cope. I'll just, just tell star. you that that
1: becomes problematic because then you have people up there who no one really wants or has a question for. So generally, they're going to pick stars of the game, the most important people in that game, and it's not always it's not always the highest paid person who comes out for a team press conference.
6: No, it's who had the better who had the game. You know, someone six-man puts up 20, they're going to want to
1: right. talk to him. I guess the, the, ba- the basic question here, and this is something we have to examine, what do we really get out of post-game press conferences, and will fans miss what comes out of post-game press conferences? Um, or are you fine just getting whatever the team puts out, whatever the player chooses to put out, if a player chooses to say anything after a
6: game? I- I'm kind of uh, the latter. I'm okay with that, whatever they tweet or put out on Instagram. I mean, I
1: know it hurts to Adam and people like that, but. All right, Andrew, we appreciate the call. I might make the argument that it hurts. It does hurt the fan because uh, sure. I don't. I don't know that you're going to have those questions you have after a game. Like, I mean, there are some questions after the Vegas Golden Knights game. You're all excited. You're going into a series that you hope is even up. Um, the Avs are a favorite, but you know, it wasn't like you were destroyed by the Avalanche during in the season. I assume fans want. To you know, hear some questions of Leonard and Deboer, and you know what just happened. But there, I think there are a lot of fans who are like, "We don't care. We lost. Let's just let them recover, and we only care about winning. We don't want any answers." I, I, I hope that's not the case, but I know that is. I know there are some fans like that.
2: I'm sure that I'm sure there are people like that. First of all, I'm going to say the exact opposite of what uh, of what we just heard from the caller, in that the individual sports. He said he wants individual sports to have to talk and team sports not to. I, I'm going to say the opposite. Um, If you're an individual, like to me, a lot of the, a lot of talking after a game, a lot of, a lot of press conferences, a lot of answers are to, you know, provide answers to the fans through the media and also to promote the team that you're a part of. Like you are promoting when you're doing that. You're getting in the paper, you're getting on websites, you're getting all over the place. You're promoting that team. What about the argument that we all have websites? We're all big enough now. We don't need your help in promoting. That's fine, but again, that's why I'm saying with a team, uh, it's a little bit different, and and the the filter is different to the fans, where they get something different out of it. So I'm going to say individual individual sport athletes should they can make their own decisions because it's about promoting themselves and about you know marketing and everything else for themselves. So that's fine. Now the problem they're going to run into is like Naomi Osaka Naomi Osaka just did, where you play in a tournament and the tournament is paying a, a big prize. And part of that is you have to promote the tournament by speaking about what happened uh, out on the, uh, out on the court. So you get to make the decision as an individual athlete. Okay. This tournament is going to require me to do media. Is it worth the prize money to enter it? Like, is it worth the prize money to enter this tournament? If I have to speak to media and are some tournaments going to say you don't have to anymore. uh, And then you enter those tournaments. Like, I think that that's a possibility and that's your decision to make as an individual athlete, uh, you know when you sign up for it, whether you're going to have to do it or not. Uh, There's a lot of layers to this. Now, one thing I hope that doesn't happen is that people don't uh, start playing the quote-unquote mental health card when it's like, I just don't like doing that, so I'm going to say this. How dare you say
1: that? How dare you say that? If someone says they have mental health issues and they don't want to deal with the postgame, then you believe them.
2: There are no questions. How dare you? First of all, I'm not pointing out Naomi Osaka. I'm just saying in the future, if, if there's somebody that just doesn't like doing it and they're like, well, this is a good way to go about it. No. I don't like that. You believe them? No. No matter what.
1: Uh, Bill is with us, 364-1100. Hey, Bill.
3: Guys, how's it going? Good. Bill. Um, first thing I, I want to say is um, the other day I completely agree with Adam. As soon as I heard he was starting Leonard, I said, sacrificial lamb. I told Bonnie, I said, If they, you know, play a perfect game and somehow they steal it, that he looks like a genius. Otherwise, you're saving Flurry whatever, you know, gas is left in the tank. And he gets the extra two days rest. And you're probably going to lose that game anyway. It was uh, such a slanted scenario with uh, having to go to game seven and all that. So I completely, he won't ever admit it, but I'm telling you, he did that with, with certain purposes in mind. Uh, As far as the athletes go on the press conferences, um, I think, as you always say, Steve, it's a slippery slope. Once you start letting one do it without any repercussions to it, then all of them are going to want to do it, or some of them are going to want to do it, and then you have to set, all right, are we going to do a new precedent here where nobody does it, or are we going to do a full-on thing where if somebody doesn't agree to this, especially in collective bargain-type situations, you're going to have to start doing some heavy fines or suspensions or something. Because, like you said, some people are genuinely going to have anxiety about it or just, you know, have, you know, tremors about it. And then you're going to have the other guys that are like, man, I don't want to answer questions after that game. We just got our heart ripped out. And the last thing I want to do is talk to some schmuck from Des Moines <laughs> on, his, uh, on his deadline that wants an answer to a stupid question. So um, I think you got to go one way or the other. I don't think there's a halfway on, on any of this.
1: All right, Bill, we appreciate it. I will Thank step you. in and defend press conferences because I saw a lot over the weekend. Why do they have to come in and, a- and answer the same mindless questions every time? All right. Well, most of the questions are not mindless. And actually, the questions that people really have issues with are the tough ones yeah. that, that a lot of fans would want to ask. Um, so this, like, I, I with Naomi Osaka, I'm not questioning, you know, if she gets freaked out, then we got to look into this and figure out a better process for post-match. Uh, in her case, and and many others. But I do think there's an examination of, like, just to throw out there, like, hey, they always have to answer these stupid questions. All right, well, give us a, an example of how many stupid questions, why you think they're stupid, and maybe an examination of why they're asked as well. Because we get that all the time, right? After uh, events, and people are like, oh, it's a dumb question. Like, no, nah, it really wasn't. Just because you didn't like the question because you're a fan of the team and it was a tough question doesn't mean it was a, a dumb question. You just didn't like the question because it put – Your person, you know, on the hot spot. Uh, Scott is with us. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, Scott. What do you think of all this? Well, I was – what about the post game?
6: Look at the players when you do it. You have two players up there, and one's talking, and the other one's waiting for a question. They look like they don't want to be up there. Now, if you look at the player that isn't getting – having a question asked to – He's either staring at the table or he's got that forty-yard stare on his face, <laughs> and so I just get that feeling they don't, they, they do not want to be there to begin with. Uh, that's right. it. Thank you.
1: Oh, okay. Didn't mean to cut you off, Scott. Yeah, right, three, it, six, four, three six four
2: eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. And Scott, there is referring obviously to uh, what we're seeing right now with like NHL, uh, especially the Golden Knights, go two players at a time. Uh, on a dais, on a Zoom. It is, it's, it's weird. Like, it is yeah. weird. And, and, you know, hopefully soon we're back to being in the locker room and uh, it's a much different process there. Uh, but yeah, it, it does look weird when, when there's two guys up there, one's getting asked a question. It, but you get those great interactions sometimes where one jumps in on the other's question or one says something to the other guy or makes fun of his answer, or that kind of thing. Like, those things are, are kind of fun when they happen. But uh, being in the locker room is, is a much more, um, you know, a much more worthwhile experience, I think, for both the players and the media. Ryan is up on Cofield and Company. Hey, Ryan.
7: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Thank so, you, I kind of agree with Adam. Like, if you're a, a single-sport athlete, it, like, it definitely should be optional. Like, if you want to promote yourself, like, with golf and tennis, like, I absolutely get that. As far as the team sports, to be honest, as I've gotten older in life, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now, and – I like the press conferences after, like, a big game. So, like, I find myself after Super Bowl, I watch the press conference or, like, you know, a playoff game, like, on on Sunday. I wanted to see what DeBoer had to say about the Knights. And, you know, and so I really feel like it. The players shouldn't be required to do it. But if they are going to be required, I think you know, like, the majority of the teams, like, it's the Lakers, it's LeBron, it's Anthony Davis, it's the superstars. So, like, you're not going to get to talk to – you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope. So it's like, you know, whatever. So like, I really just want to hear from them after these big games, like if there's a blowout or something, that's when I'm most intrigued about it. So I don't feel like players should have to do it, but again, if they're obligated, I get it. But like, as far as the single sport, I think it's it's definitely to just promote yourself. All
1: right, Ryan, we appreciate it. So you get a backer there of uh, some of the post-match, post-game press conferences. I've seen a lot of fans who are like, yeah, just get rid of them. What's the point? Uh, Ted wants in. Ted's up on ESPN Las Vegas. Hey, Ted.
5: Hey, guys. Long time. Glad you're actually taking some calls. Um, Thanks, so, man. you know, I think you have to break it up, obviously. Team sports with CBA, listen, I, I, I don't I think there's any question. Listen, this is your job. It's under the CBA. Are you going to be happy about it, thrilled without it? Probably not. But you know what? Suck it up for 10 minutes of your life, Okay. And get it done with. Now, individual sports, I think, is a little different. I think what we're kind of forgetting, other than the mega superstars, there's a lot of advantage for athletes. The vast majority of athletes should take advantage of that time and promote themselves, market whatever. If you choose not to or give off some kind of negative reflection of yourself in the media, that's up to you. If you want to deal with it and, you know, whatever issue you have, that's fine from an individual basis. But the vast majority of the time, there's an advantage to to, to do that. I mean, you're living in a world of entertainment or whatever. There are reasons you want to promote yourself or whatever. Again, uh, uh, you know, again, suck it up, put on your happy face, and market yourself and do what you got to do. All
1: right, Ted, we appreciate it. Call in more often. Three
2: six four eleven hundred. Adam, I, I mean, I think in terms of uh, of this being on the CBA, like again, it is required. It is part of the deal. It's part of your job. Whether you th- whether you want it to be or not as a fan, whether you think it should be or not, that's fine. It is. It's a part of your job. Now, if you want to start getting into, hey, players can take a certain percentage out of their salary. And say, hey, that you know, that part of my job I don't want to do. Say it's fifteen percent. Fifteen percent of your job is speaking to the media and talking to them and you know, answering questions. And if you don't want to do it, all right, fine. Let's 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 come up with some system where you can opt out of that, and I don't like doing it, I'm not going to do it. Here's fifteen percent of your salary. Like, okay. Because again, it is a it is part of your job description. If, if there's part of your job at work, whatever job you have, if you're, you know, whatever, whatever, I'm trying to think what a job would be, but, uh, you know.
1: It'd be like, it'd be like a, a radio host in the middle of a show in a pinch. Someone needs a commercial. It's the last thing you want to do, but you do it because it's part of sure. your job and clients are important, right? Uh, we'll sure. get back. We got more on Naomi Osaka and a lot of people lining up behind Naomi Osaka asking the question, like, why does the post-game conversation – even exists. Let's get rid
0: of all of it. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studios.
1: So, Adam, back to the NBA. We have a couple of series that look like they were going to be freaking cakewalks, and now you got big men. In multiple situations who are hurt. And it may not just be hurting for now. Are the Sixers in any jeopardy? Embiid is doubtful for game five against the Wiz. They were rolling. Something to worry about here?
2: Not for this series, I don't think. But I do feel like, you know, long term, if he's hurt. If he's, you know, if this is a lingering thing, and by the way, it's been lingering for, I don't know, his whole career uh, injury situation. So, um, yeah, I would be concerned for their ability to go on to win, you know, the Eastern Conference and potentially try to challenge for a title uh, if he's out for an extended period of time or if he's impacted for an extended period of time. Uh, But I think they're fine in this series. On the other one with Anthony Davis, it could be this series. Like they could be in trouble here, right now, if he's not able to go. Yes, yes, yes. This is a real problem.
1: Yes, this is a freaking mess. And there are still people who are like, "Well, I, I can't believe he's going to miss the game. Like he's he's probably going to miss the game."
2: Yeah, and I, don't I, think
1: I was- this, this isn't. They're, they're not playing games and trying to play. Mind games, and the difference is, like we just said, that's why I didn't say who's in more trouble this round because I know the Wiz are not the Suns. The Suns are a good team, and they showed that throughout the season. Yeah, this, I'll, I'll, I mean, this tonight is real, real friggin' dicey, real dicey. What are you gonna play if you are gonna bet the game? What would you play?
2: Well, I am playing the Suns if, if I know that Anthony Davis isn't playing for sure. I, I don't think there is a more clear like decision one way or the other, based on an injury situation or something like that, like there is no other factor in the series. If you wanna break down the series and say, well, if the Suns do this, if the Suns hit their threes, if the Lakers rebound, they go back, and, like, no. The only thing that matters is whether Anthony Davis plays. <laughs> that determines the series. It's all that matters.
0: The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.